Thanks, Brother Dan. It's good to be back. I, uh, we've been gone for three Sundays. We decided, Tammy and I did. She, for those of you who don't know, she retired from the Veterans Hospital into March. Been a nurse there some 31, 32 years, a long time. And when we saw last year that the uh, conference was going to be in Sarasota, we were like, well, let's make a, let's make a vacation out of it. So we went to uh, St. Augustine, Florida for a few days, and then we went down to Sarasota where the conference was. Had a great conference. And then we, on the way back, we stopped at Jekyll Island, Georgia, and spent a couple days there and then came on home. But I'm going to tell you, uh, we're beach people. I love the Inner Beach is a beautiful place. And uh, thank goodness I don't have to go to Florida or Georgia to enjoy it. There, the beaches here in North Carolina are beautiful. I won't own a beach that I thought was any prettier than North Carolina's. So I don't have to drive 12, 15, 8 hours, drive 3 hours down I-40 and, and enjoy that creation of God's. But we did enjoy it, and I want to thank you all. Uh, you know, I want to thank Brother Michael, uh, Britt, uh, Sister Antoinette, uh, Pastor David for, for managing the pulpit while we were gone. Uh, it's just great to have people you can call on. I, one of the things I've heard Pastor Don say many times is through his many, many years of pastoring is that he hates to have somebody in the pulpit and be on the edge of his seat. Uh, not because of the, the power of the, of, the, of the word, but on, oh gosh, what are they going to say? And they're going to deal with the fallout. And I don't, you know, it's just great to have lots of people that you can call on right here in our church that you know can come up and manage this pulpit and, 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 and handle God's word well. And what's great about that, we have, have uh, Pastor Michael, a young man, Sister Antoinette, a female, and, and then and Pastor David, who pastors a church and now runs a ministry. They bring God's word through the perspective of their lives. And it changes us. Don't change God's word, but you get such a unique perspective. So I want to thank them so much for, uh, for doing that. Have a birthday today. Sister Teresa Hilliard. Happy birthday, Teresa. Yeah. And a couple Wednesday nights ago, we had another birthday, a young man in our midst, and he hadn't been able to be with us in a while, and it's so good to see Jimmy Turner here this morning. Brother Jimmy, it's good to see you this morning. Jimmy turned 80 years old, right, Jimmy? 80 years young. 80 years young. It's good, good to have you back, Jimmy. The conference, man, the conference was great. One of the highlights of the conference was that the, uh, the fellowship honored Pastor Don and Sister Carol brought him up, presented him with a plaque for 54 years of pastoring. That's unheard of, you know, in the same church. 54 years, 40 years of leadership in that fellowship. So it's good to have Sister Carol with us here. Pastor Don's not been feeling all that well. He'll be back with us soon, but uh, they did honor him, and it was just a good event, and it was a good that, that that happened. The theme of the conference was edify, edify, which means to build up. And the nice thing about the conference, we try to, we've tried to go every other year. And I, look, I, you, don't necessarily, you don't have to be a leader in a church to go. I would encourage everyone in this church to try to go to a conference sometime. They're typically in some type of vacation destination. But you can go, and they get great, right, uh, great rates on the hotels. They usually have some great speakers. The worship's great. But what happens is you get to see people that you haven't seen in a while, people you've built relationships with in, in different churches in North Carolina and in different churches around the country. Some missionaries, a lot of missionaries there, Brother Dan, from around the world. And so you build new relationships. Tammy and I were sitting out by a bay out by Sarasota, Florida, and a 
couple folks from the fellowship came and sat down and found out that one of them's name was Larry, imagine that, and Kenny was the other one, and they were both from California. They were ministers in California, and so we made some new friends, and, and so, uh, but the theme was edify, and Pastor Steve Holder preached the message the last night, and he went through many, many scriptures about edification. Edify means to build up, to build up. And, and we as God's people, if we're in a time that we need to build each other up, it's today. We need to build each other up and encourage each other. And so as he was preaching that message and as I was thinking about that, the, the idea that came into my spirit was this idea of, of being in a safe place. It just, just dropped into my spirit, this idea of being in a safe place. Now, the world today, that, that, that term's used a lot. They're looking for safe places. And typically what that means when you hear that from a worldly standpoint, it means a place where I can go in and not feel anybody challenge my thoughts, anybody challenge my thinking on anything, that I won't be offended. Well, I can tell you that's not the church. <laughs> if you're living in a sinful lifestyle, if you're living apart from God, probably when you come into where the Holy Spirit is, you're going to feel convicted, you're going to feel offended but what I want you to know about Bethel and what I think is so important for the church today is that you can walk through those doors with your past, because we all got one, with your struggles, because we all have them, with your doubts, because we have those at times, with your fears, and find a body of believers in here who will come along beside you, walk with you through those things. And yes, part, one of Pastor Steve's points was edification through correction. There's no better way to edify someone than know they're living in sin and say, hey, let's have a conversation. There's a way to do that. There's a way to edify and there's a way to correct. Some people do it right. Many people do it wrong. It's not to humiliate. It's not to call out in public. It's, the Bible gives us clear instructions on that. But I just wanted that idea came into my heart, and I, I just want you to know, and as I prayed in the prayer room this morning, Bethel is much more, any church should be much more than whoever the lead pastor is or the praise and worship leader is. The church is about you, the people. You're the ones who make this church go. You're the one who God used to make this church function. And even the scripture tells us that the church is made up of many members. We all have different talents and callings, and not one is any more important than the other. Yes, this one is a higher profile, but this is not any more important than the person who stands out there and greets folks coming in. Sometimes it's less. So my desire, I've come away from there built up, built up in friendships, built up in my spirit from the word and the worship. And I hope that when you leave this place on Sundays and Wednesdays and Friday nights, I typically do, I leave here built up. I leave here ready to face a world and face a life that's really going to chip away at that all week long. That's why it's important to be back, to get that, that rebuilding again, to refuel that gas tank to get out there and face that world again. So this morning we're going to move into the book of James. We finished up a study called In the Beginning. Uh, through Genesis, we went through 36 chapters of the book of Genesis. It's only 50 chapters. I, I challenge you to finish reading uh, the book. And it was built around the idea of God being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This morning we're going to transition into the book of James. Five chapters. The book of James is only five chapters. I want to encourage you to read it. If you haven't read the whole book yet, this week, I want everyone under the sound of my voice to get yourself a Bible and read the book of James. 
The book of James is a great book. The book of James is one of those books when I, in a witnessing encounter, I never leave someone that I get a chance to share with that I don't challenge them to get them a Bible. I've asked them, do you have a Bible? Most of them will say yes. Some people say, well, I think I do, but I'm not sure I know where it's at. Well, let's, let's get, you, get yourself a Bible and read the book of Mark. It's a gospel. It's only 16 chapters. We just finished a pretty in-depth study in the book of Mark. Why do I choose Mark? Because it is only 16 chapters. I'm sad to say that we as Americans, and even as American followers of Christ, do not read. We don't read. We don't read the Bible. We just don't read. We've got to get back into reading and reading God's Word. But read the book of Mark, I say. And then read the book of Romans. Romans is a book of doctrine, what we believe, written by Paul. And then I say, read the book of James. Why the book of James? The book of James is about doing it. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to be built up by it. But it's something else to do it. It's something else to walk it out. The book of James is a book of instruction about practical Christian living. It's often been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. What did it look like to live as a Christian in James' day? And how does that apply to us in 2023? The book, of, the book is a book of challenges and commands. As a matter of fact, of the 108 verses in the book of James, 54 clear commands are given. The main theme of the book being James 2.17, which says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. We like the cliche that states that Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. How many of you heard that before? Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not as it relates to your salvation. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing. You haven't been good enough to be saved. You haven't been bad enough not to be saved. The only, everything that you need for your salvation was accomplished on that cross right there. And you go to it by faith. And you repent and you ask the Lord to forgive you. Make Him the Lord of your life and receive the salvation that only He can give. But then what? Then what? There are do's and don'ts. Isn't life really a, a life of do's and don'ts? Don't run a red light. Don't spit in the wind. Don't scream fire in a crowded theater. Do brush your teeth. Do go to school. Do, do, do. Life is a list of do's and don'ts. The unfortunate thing is I think the church through the years have become very good at harping on the don'ts. We're really good. I heard one commentator say we're really good at making lists. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go here. Don't say that. Don't drink this. Don't do that. And those things matter. They do. But what about the do's? What about the do's? I'm afraid for too long what has happened within the Church of America, we've shut ourselves in, for those of us who still believe that we should live godly lives before the Lord, we shut ourselves in the walls of a church, and we say, I'm not going to be polluted by that world out there, but I'm not going to have any impact on it. Us four, no more. That, that's not James' challenge. It's really not the challenge of the Scriptures. Jesus gave a command before we left. One of the speakers uh, Pastor James, I can't remember his last name right now, is a great, great, great preacher. But he said, you know, he's always fascinated with the uh, mission statements of a church. And we have one, so there's nothing wrong with a mission statement. But he said, Jesus gave the mission statement, didn't he? Before he left this earth, he gave us a mission statement. 
He said, go into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He gave us that, and he gave us the power to do it with. But are we doing it, or have we relegated? I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. Pastor Jack Hayford in his study Bible says this, James is primarily practical and ethical, emphasizing duty rather than doctrine. I'm also afraid of what has pushed the church back today into a corner, is that we don't want to be political. How many of you heard that before? How many of you know that most, nearly every single battle out there that is raging in our culture was biblical long before it was political? And I don't want to be political either, church. But we can't shrink back. We can't hide away from these issues and how each one of us may, God may use each one of us to impact those areas. That'll be between you and God and the influence that you have. But I'm afraid is what happened is we've just become silent on it. We don't want to be involved in any of that. Can I tell you, I hate politics, especially here lately. I do. But whether I like it or whether you like it, how is policy impacted in, the, in our culture? Through the political system. That's how policy is impacted. And we as God's people, if we believe in righteousness for a nation, then we need to try wherever we can to have an impact in that. I'm going to say some things through this study that you'll agree with, some that you won't, and that's good. That's the way it should be. I'm going to even tip my toe a little bit into the political arena a little bit. Please don't chop my head off. <laughs> but I can't stand Donald Trump. I'm just going to tell you that. I, I think he's bad for politics, okay? Maybe you like him. I, I, and that's as a person. I can't defend the things he does and says. It makes me hard as a Christian who wants to support a cause that I think is the righteous cause as it relates to life, gender, marriage. When someone does some of the things that he does and says, it's hard for me to defend. But nevertheless, I have him. Now, listen, I know I have God. to be. God's orchestrated everything. We know that. But what's not lost on me is the reason that Roe v. Wade was overturned and maybe you think that shouldn't have happened. Then that's okay. You're free to believe what you like. But the reason Roe v. Wade was overturned, the reason we won two huge religious liberty cases in the Supreme Court, is because Donald Trump put three conservative justices on that court. That's a fact. And why did that happen? That happened because for years and years and years, people who are called by the name of the Lord have got out. Yes, they've prayed. We won't accomplish anything without prayer. But they got out and they got to work. They got to work. They worked in the political process. They, 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 can, they campaigned for, for, for candidates. They tried to put people in elected office, judges in elected offices, all of these things under the sovereign hand of God. I know that. But they did that. What would have been the option just to sit back and say, uh, Brother Matt Fisher suggested a book. I don't know how many of you saw it. I had heard about it because it got, a lot of, it got a lot of chatter in the Christian circles when it first came out because it's pretty controversial. You've seen it, Pastor David? Have you read it? Challenging, isn't it? It's called A Letter to the American Church. I would encourage you to get it and read it. Easy read. 
But it's challenging. And what Eric Metaxas does in this church, he, in this book, is that he parallels the American church today to the German church during Nazism, during, during the rise of Hitler. And how the American church was like, well, I just don't want to get involved in that stuff. Uh, it, 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 let's just preach the gospel. Let's don't worry about this. It, it'll work itself out. We saw how it worked itself out. He notes in here only a handful of pastors that stood up against Hitler. Some of them lost their lives. They lost their lives. And he makes a note in this book, and he can't say for sure if this was true, but he said what was happening in the, in the German church in that day, they were in the walls of their church and they were praising God and the boxcars were riding down the railroad tracks taking the Jews to the gas chambers. How does that apply to us today? Have you seen what's happening in the schools? Have you seen what's happening, what they're trying to teach your children and your grandchildren? Boy, it's quiet in here. Boy, it's quiet in here. I'm going to touch on these things a little bit as we go through, but I'm not going to harp on them. I'm not going to harp on them, but I am going to challenge you through this message. And it's been challenging to me. This book has been challenging to me. God's Word is challenging to me. But we'll talk about that a little bit as we go through. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for James. Lord, for a pastor. James was a pastor. And he wrote about some hard topics, and he challenged his people. And Lord, there's no greater call than to stand here and handle your Word and challenge people. Not just to hear it, not come in Sunday morning and be blessed by it, but Lord, to do it. To do it. You've given us commands. You've commanded us to go out. Your disciples, they went out into a culture that was very, very difficult. The earliest of church fathers went out and went into a culture that was very, very difficult. Many of them, most of them, losing their lives over this. It's not what I want. None of us want that. But God, give us through your word, through the teachings of James, the ability, Lord, to stand up when we need to stand up, speak when we need to speak, and be doers of your word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all still with me? Y'all still with me? <laughs> All right. So what I want to do this morning is just do an overview of the book of James. We'll talk about the author for just a minute. The author was James. It was James. The book is named after, after him. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had no full brothers and sisters. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he was a half-brother. He was known as Camel Knees. James was known as Camel Knees because of how much time he spent on his knees in prayer. I've talked about some pretty heavy things in opening this up, but I, what I will tell you is we won't win those battles unless we're on our knees in prayer. That's where it starts. We spend time before the Lord to allow Him to speak into us and to strengthen us. James was known as old Camel Knees. He was the brother of Jude. Jude also wrote a book named after him. The book of Jude. You want to feel accomplished this week? Read the book of Jude. One chapter. Read James and then read Jude. One chapter. Good book, though. Deals with a lot of heavy stuff. James did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. He didn't believe who, on who Jesus was. John 7, 3 through 5 says this. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. 
For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe in him. Why not? As I thought through this, I think the reason, one of the reasons they didn't believe in him, they were familiar with him. They grew up with him. They played ball with him if they played ball then. And they knew who he was. He was just a guy just like them. And I thought about how familiarity, it's a hard word to say, breeds apathy. I think that's where we are as Americans. I've got complete access to God's word. I have complete access to churches. I have access to all the things of God, written materials, things. And so I can take it or leave it. And most people today leave it. There's no real desire for it. We've become so familiar with God's word and the things of God that there's no, sometimes it, it, it takes away the hunger for it. But he didn't believe. But he had an encounter with Jesus. When he encountered the resurrected Christ, it changed him. There's power in the resurrection. They, they had seen many of the, had seen or heard of the great miracles that Jesus had done. That's not what made them come believe. It's when they encountered, it's when they had an encounter with a resurrected Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and 7 says this, After this, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. He appeared to James personally, and that changed the life of James. James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a pastor of that church, actually. One of the greatest speeches and one of the scriptures that show what a leader he was comes out of Acts 15. And I'm not going to read it. You can write on your notes if you want Acts 15. That was called the Jerusalem Council. And the church had been birthed and Gentiles were being saved. And the Jews were trying to figure out Many of the Jews, many of the Pharisees were saying to the Gentiles, look, you have to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. And many of the elders and the apostles, including James, are like, no, they don't have to do these things. We don't have to do them anymore. Certainly the Gentiles don't. So they had a meeting back then, and they began to discuss these things. What do we require of the Gentiles? What do we need to tell them? And Peter stands up and talks, and Barnabas stands up and talks. And then in Acts 15 and 13, it says this, after they had become silent, Speaking of Peter mostly. James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. And from that point on, James said, Listen, this is what we need to tell the Gentiles. That what they need to do is abstain from idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and not eat things with blood and strangled. That's it. Let's just leave it right there. And they wrote a letter and they sent it to the Gentiles. And the Bible says that the Gentiles rejoiced. If I was a Gentile and they were over there discussing whether or not I need to be circumcised, when they said I didn't, I'd be rejoicing too. So they rejoiced. James was a leader in that church and a pastor. But like so many of others of the early church, did James go on to have a huge congregation, drive a Cadillac, have all the accolades? Is that what that got James? In A.D. 62, James was stoned to death. He was stoned to death. The book was likely written in 4462. It was the earliest book written in the canon or in the Bible. James was the earliest book written of the Bible. What was the purpose of it? The purpose was it was to address the problems the fellow Jewish believers were experiencing in life and in the church. In 1-1, it says it was written to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. It was written to the 12. If you read that, you think, well, it was written to the 12 tribes of Israel. 
to all the Jews who had been scattered. They were scattered because they were being persecuted. But it was also written to Gentile believers. If you flip over a book and look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter's a great book to read in conjunction with James. It's also five chapters. Peter opens his book very much like James does. And he says to the dispersion, to the same people who've been dispersed. But he calls them elect because they've been sprinkled by the blood of the Lord. So this book is written to everyone, every believer who had been scattered, every believer who had been persecuted. This book was written to them. And this book applies to me and you today, just like all of the scriptures do. And it covers several topics in the book. If you read the email I sent out, Charles Swindoll says this about the book of James. As you read the letter from James, focus on, focus on those areas that he mentioned. Your actions during trials, your treatment of the less fortunate, the way you speak and relate to others, and the role that money plays in your life. Now, allow James to encourage you to do good according to the faith that you proclaim. Does your walk match your talk? Several issues that we'll deal with as we go through this book. Trials and suffering. Wait, I thought that when I came to faith in Christ, I was going to have my best life now. I thought it was, life was going to be a rose garden. I didn't think I was going to have problems. I hope you didn't buy that lie. But you're not going to be miserable either, folks. We're going to walk through this life just like everybody else walks through it. Happy sometime, joyful sometime, blessed sometime. And I'm sometimes on our knees saying, oh God, help me. Help me, God. But the difference between me and the person who's never put their trust in Christ is when I'm on my knees saying, oh God, help me, I sense His presence. I sense the peace that nothing else can give me. And I know there's many of you in here who have done that and faced that. Trials and suffering. They come to us. How do we deal with them? What are they for? Talk about it a little bit. How we treat people. Boy, if there is ever a time today that's going to show us, that's going to delineate between those who love God and those who don't, is how we treat people. This world, folks, will, I read an article by Michael Brown in my Charisma News app recently, and it says, why are people so angry? Have you noticed that people are angry? And I get it. I, the culture's breeding it. Politics breeds it. Everything, all the issues out there breeds it. And it's hard not to get sucked into it. When I was still working in the police department there at the end with all those protests and all, it was real hard to, to not get sucked into it. During COVID, it was real hard not to get sucked into it, won't it? The mask don't mask. Is it real? Is it not real? I mean, and it had just people at each other's throats, oftentimes believers. But how do we treat people? How do we treat people who are less fortunate than us? How do we treat the people who walk in and we know have a lot of money or have a big status compared to those who don't? James deals with it and we'll look at it. Faith without works is dead. Works. Works. Are you working? Are you doing anything for the Lord? You know, we like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and I do too. I love Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I love that. It's saying, hey, 
your salvation is not by works. Because if it's about works, you know what we're going to do. I'm going to walk around my puff, chest puffed out. I'm going to be like, well, look what I'm doing. He ain't doing nothing. She ain't doing nothing. So I get a little more salvation than Brother Dan or this brother. or uh, any, I get more salvation because I've done this, 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 and this. That's our human nature. That's what we do. Paul says, mm-mm, salvation is through grace, by grace through faith, not of works because you'd brag about it. But we like to stop at verse 9. We don't care much for verse 10, which is right on the heels of it. Why are we saved? Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He saved us for a purpose. He foreordained some works for you. I don't know what your works are. And, and there's, there's numerous works. And when I get to that, we'll talk about that. There's works of righteousness and there's good works. We'll, we'll delineate those out a little bit. But God did not save us to come in here on Sunday morning, be blessed by His Word, and walk out there and do nothing with it. I'm convinced of that. He saved us for a purpose. And the world out there is hungry for what you got. It's just are you willing to share it? That's a controversial. The, the whole works thing is very controversial. It almost seems in one scripture in there that James flat out contradicts what Paul said. Well, look at that. He didn't. He didn't. It caused Martin Luther, who was a reformer. Martin Luther grew up under works-based salvation. Catholicism was works-based salvation. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and you are in favor. So when Martin Luther read James in here, when he said faith without works is dead, and he taught more about works, Martin Luther said, I don't even, that don't even belong in the Bible. Get that thing out of the Bible. I understand that a little bit. If you grew up under works-based salvation, and now you're out from under that, you understand uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, you might bow up a little bit at somebody who's trying to tell you that your salvation is accomplished by works. It's not accomplished by works, but works is part of our salvation. Very controversial. Next, how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with sin and temptation? Am I the only one in here who's tempted? Am I the only one in here who has sin nipping at my heels a lot? Because it does. It does. How do we deal with it? Controlling the tongue. How do you talk? If I went to your Facebook page, you can, you can tell a lot about people by their Facebook. That's the only social media I have, and I, it's, it's all I can do to stay on that. And I know there's, I got young people in here now, and I know there's Snapchat and Instagram, and what's the others? What on TikTok? I, you know, so I'm not on all those things. But that really adds a personal, because you know, it would have been a time if I said something to you, it was right there. And I could have dealt with it. If I needed to apologize, I'd just go to you. Now we put it out there, and where does it go? It goes, it runs like a flame. And whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, has never been cut by words. Controlling the tongue. Lastly, the power of prayer. What's your prayer life look like? James deals with the power of prayer. He was known as old camel knees because he's on his knees in prayer. I would imagine he would talk to us about prayer. Those are the things we'll cover in this series. I imagine it's going to, counting this week, would be about 11-week about 11, 11 study. What's the personal application of the book? 
like all of the Bible, it's about growth in our spiritual life. Our desire when you come to read God's Word or hear God's Word is not that you just take it in and learn and you're smart and you can regurgitate it, but that you grow. You grow in your relationship with the Lord. That you grow closer to Him because He reveals Himself in His Word. So if He reveals Himself in His Word, He's going to reveal you to His Word, through His Word. So it's, it's growth in our spiritual life. I got this from this particular part from Jack Hayford's study Bible. So growth in our spiritual life and sensitivity in social relationships. Listen to what Jack Hayford says. Any faith that does not deal with both personal and social issues is a dead faith. I don't want to deal with the social issues. They've gone crazy. And I know the men, and I say, well, let me tell you what I believe. They're going to call me all kinds of names. But there's a way to do it. There's a way, folks, you can stand on what you believe and not be hateful about it. Not, 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 don't let them drag you in to, the, to, uh, to regretting things that you say and, and maybe do. But Hayford says if we're not dealing with the social issues, it's a dead faith. I had a family member that came to this church um, several years ago. Pastor Don was preaching. And Pastor Don, in his sermon, he preached on the sin of, of homosexuality. It, that's not what the sermon was about, but it was, it was part of the sermon. And we went out to eat dinner after that was over. And he looked at me and he said, I would never hear that from the pulpit of the church I'm in. I said, really? He said, why? I said, why? He said, I just don't think he'd say it. I think he's afraid too many people would not like it or leave. That's a problem. So be thankful that you're sitting in a church today and will always sit in Bethel Christian Center today that will tell you the truth about those things. Hopefully from truth, but from a heart of love. But he said, I don't hear it. And that's happening more and more and more. What I want to tell you, and this, this came to my mind as I was thinking and meditating of this message. You will deal with these social issues or they will deal with you. You can run, you can hide, and particularly for those of you who are still in the workforce. Some of you that are here sitting in the workforce have already dealt with them. You're already trying to work your way through, what do I do with this pronoun issue? What do I do, God? At the conference, Tammy sat in on one of the breakouts, and this question got asked, and I'm not, I'm not sure how he asked it, how he asked it, because, but about this type of thing. It's easy for me to stand here as someone who's a pastor, someone who's, I have a retirement, I'm secure in my financial life for the most part. And look at you and say, well, the moment that happens, you need to quit your job. You need to stand up. I'm not going to tell you that, church. But I will tell you, be close to the Lord. Study His Word. Ask Him to guide you and direct you. Ask Him to protect you. Ask Him to keep His hand upon you. But know what your line as the sand is. And there's probably one. And, I, and, and we'll pray that it doesn't come to you. I had my line in the sand. I was very concerned about it the last couple years of my career. I'd be glad to share it with some of you personally if you'd like to know what it is. But it never came to me, thank goodness. Because I'd been before the Lord and I said, Lord, if this presents itself to me, what am I going to do? But it didn't. 
But it's getting harder out there. It's getting harder. So this morning, I'm just the part of James I'm going to cover is James 1.1. James 1.1. It reads like this. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. I think it's interesting the way James opens and describes himself. He describes himself as a bondservant. That's the same term that Paul uses to describe himself in his letters. It's the same term that Jude uses to describe himself in the letters. The Greek word there is doulos, and it means slave. Everywhere where it's literally translated in the Greek, it means slave. And in many of the commentators that I read behind that, they thought even in the Bible, even in the earliest of Bibles, they didn't want to use that word for that particular to describe the earliest apostles because of so much negative imagery that goes with slavery. I mean, slavery has always been negative, church. And particularly in the American culture, when you think about the brutality of American slavery and everything that goes with that, this idea of being a slave is not going to go over well. But that is how James, Paul, and Jude describe themselves. Could you imagine today, in, in a world that's infatuated with titles, I'm the pastor, I'm the bishop, I'm the deacon, I'm the apostle, I'm the prophet. Could you imagine if when we introduced ourselves, if I came up and said, hey, I'm Larry Smith, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. People would be going like, this guy right here flipped his lid. He's taking him to the funny house. But really, when it all boils down to a church, that's what we are. That's what we are. That's what we should be. James could have said, hey, I'm James. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. I hung out with him. I grew up with him. I don't know about you flunkies, but I know him. He could have said, hey, I'm the pastor of the Jerusalem church. I, I set Peter straight. I told him what to do, and they did it. Did not do that. Neither did, neither did Paul. Neither did Peter or Jude. Referred to themselves as a slave. And it's interesting, when you look at our salvation, when you look at the salvation, we receive salvation, how it parallels the idea of slavery. Slave is purchased, were they not? They were bought. Well, guess what? If you're here today and Christ is your Savior, you've been bought. You've been purchased. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I stand here before you because I've been bought. My salvation was paid for on a cross. I was purchased. And you've been purchased. And there ain't enough money in the world that could have done it. Won't no gold, won't no silver that could buy my salvation, that could cover my sin debt. The only thing that could pay for my sin debt was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we were bought with that. A slave was under the control of his master. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said, If you want to be my follower, you want to deny, it doesn't matter what you want to do. He said, Deny yourself. Deny your wants, deny your desires. 
If I'm called, he's called us into something. That same pastor that, that I was telling you about that spoke, he, he talked about the Great Commission. And he's part of a global network that's seeking to see the Great Commission fulfilled in this generation. And he said this, everyone has a role in the goal. And we do. And I know we all have different talents. We all have different desires. That's okay. He's given us all different gifts. We're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit next Wednesday night. He's given you some things that you just... I'm not a door knocker. I'm not, I, I hate that during the political process. And Bob and Trish Randall have been so faithful to that through the years. And one of the things they'll do at election time is go out and knock on doors. I'm not knocking on doors. I just ain't comfortable with that. I work a, I work a uh, phone bank. I'll stand out at a polling place, but I ain't knocking on the doors, bothering people. But you may be perfectly comfortable with that. We all got a role in this thing. We all have a role in the Great Commission. And Jesus said that sometimes we have to deny the things that we want to do if, we're going, if he's really our master and take up our cross and follow after him. If I were to ask everyone in here, and I know if I was to go out in the general population, ask, what's the purpose of the church? Because I ask that question and you answer that in your mind right now. What is the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of me right now as a pastor teacher in this church and Pastor Michael, Pastor Dan, Brother Matt, when he's doing the mute. What, what's the purpose of what we do up here? If I was to ask that, many would say, well, it's to come and, 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 and worship God and to be around fellow believers and to, to fellowship with believers and learn God's word. All that's true. That is very, very true. But that is not the ultimate purpose. Ephesians 4 says this, that he gave to some to be pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So not everybody's a pastor, not everybody's a teacher, not everybody's an evangelist. But he did that. And what we do here on Sunday morning, what we do here on Wednesday night, what we do here on Friday night and any other time is for this, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what this is for. And if you're here and you're called by the name of the Lord, you're a saint, the Bible calls you a saint, you should be equipped for the work of the ministry. Well, that's the preacher's job to go visit people in the hospital. I know my co-worker's sick and going through a trial of life, but that's the deacon's job. That's this person. It's not. It's all of our jobs. I think we've just missed it a little bit. We're, we're nervous about it. Look, I'm still nervous about it. When I'm in a situation sometime and I really feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the unction, how many of you know have ever felt the unction of the Holy Spirit in a, in a conversation? Many of you have. The unction. Go talk to this person. I've just opened the door wide open for you, Larry. You're going to step through it. Times I do and times I don't. But that's all of your jobs if you're saved today. Because you have influence and you have things with people I don't have. That's what it's for. A slave is disciplined by his master. Hebrews 12 and 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. What we're really talking about, church, is lordship. Something that's kind of been lost, I think, a little bit in the American culture. Oh, Jesus is my Savior, but I ain't made him a Lord yet. There's no such thing in the Scriptures. He's a package deal. If he's not Lord, he's not Savior. Is he your Lord today? 
Is He Lord of your life? Is He Lord of your relationships? Is He Lord of your money? Is He Lord of your family? Is He Lord of your desires? I will tell you, He is of mine at times. There's sometimes I ask myself, Lord, are you really Lord over this? Or am I holding a little bit of it back? Is He Lord? I'm going to ask uh, Matt and the team to come on forward. I'm going I'm to close with this. Here's the thing. The Scripture says, tells us this. We're all a slave to something. Whether you admit that or not, whether I'll admit it or not, we're all a slave to something. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. There's no in-between. The Bible does not give us an in-between. Listen to, Paul uses this, this analogy of slavery a lot in the book of Romans. Listen to Paul in Romans 6 and 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. He didn't give no in-between. Who are you obeying? He goes on later to say, whoever you present your members to. Now I'll let you think about that. Is who you obey. Who do you present your hands to, your eyes to, your mouth to? That's who, you, that's who you're a slave to. Jesus said this in John 8, 34. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. He uses the word doulos there. But I think it's important to expound that just a little bit. Most translations say, whoever practices sin. We're all going to have struggle in a sin at times. Because I'm not perfect. Thank God for His grace. Thank God that I can go before God when I failed it and say, Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And that grace just washes it over. But I don't live in a lifestyle of practicing sin. This, this, is, how, this is how Matthew Henry explained that. So listen to this. This is what he says. This is what... The, interp the interpretation of that John 8.34 when Jesus said, whoever's a slave to sin. That's one that makes a choice to sin. The one that prefers the way of wickedness before the way of holiness. That makes a covenant to sin, enters into a league with it, makes a marriage with it. Makes provision for the flesh and devises iniquity. We have people today devising iniquity. They're coming up with things I couldn't imagine they would have come up with. That makes a custom of sin that walks after the flesh. So if you're in sin, if you're in a lifestyle of sin, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. And that's what Jesus said. If that's your life, if that, if that describes you or how you're living, you're a slave to it. And if you'll be honest, you know you are. But I got good news. Paul in Romans 6.18 said this. And having been set free from sin you become slaves of righteousness. If you're here today and you're a slave to sin, he said, I'll set you free from that. You come to me and I'll set you free from that bondage of sin. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. You're here this morning. You're not sure Jesus is Lord. You feel like you might be a slave to sin. There's something in your life that's just totally in control. This altar is open. You've never presented yourself to the Lord. You've never repented of your sin. This altar is open.
Don't let your pride keep you away from it. Everybody who sits under the sound of my voice, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you had to crucify your pride. I had to crucify mine. I still have to crucify it sometime. So I just want to give just a moment for the altar to be open for salvation. And someone will meet you down here and pray with you.